Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're going to go ahead and jump right into it. As we've shared these stories that Eugene has mentioned, as we hit Deborah today, there a few weeks ago, Eugene um, talked about uh, the life of Joshua. And you will remember, so I've got, we, I'm going to connect you just real quickly from the, where we get in Joshua to how we get to Deborah. And so <clears throat> if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Eugene... In Joshua chapter five, it was when the Israelites, they've gone through the desert, they've gone through the wilderness, Moses was leading them, Moses died, Joshua was the new leader, Joshua brings them into the promised land, and then if you remember, that was the message that Eugene talked about, how he circumcised all the men, in, um, how Joshua circumcised all the men in the uh, Israeli camp, just for purification and for holiness. He talked about manna, how they no longer, God would give them manna every day, they get to the promised land, they didn't have manna, that they had to work the field and and begin to grow and produce their own food. And so Eugene went through that process in Joshua chapter five. And then in Joshua chapter six is the story of the Israelites defeating the city of Jericho. And if you were here several weeks ago, you will remember when I talked about Rahab, the prostitute, and I talked about her life and and how she had a, a house there in the city walls of Jericho and how she hid the spies and God honored that and and they came in and they defeated Jericho and so Joshua chapter 5, chapter 6, they, they, be, they enter into the promised land that God had promised them for generations. They were now coming into the promise of what God had given them. Once the Israelites came in and took over Canaan, took over Jericho, little by little, they kept conquering and kept defeating more enemies, more cities, more land in the land of Canaan, which is now the modern, is modern day Israel. This was a seven year process from the time that the Israelites came into the promised land. It took them seven years to, to be able to defeat and overcome every enemy, every piece of land, every piece of property to where they were victorious and, and overtaking the enemies. After, after this seven year process and when the land of Canaan had been captured and taken, God spoke to Joshua and told him to now divide the land up between the 12 tribes. If you remember back several months ago when Eugene or Pastor Myron has taught you about uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. Those became the 12 sons of uh, of Israel. And so Jacob, God gave him direction to divide the land up to the 12 tribes. Uh, family units. So a family unit, this is your part of the property. They would do the, the, the boundary lines and this, this, this tribe and family unit would have this part of the land. So they went through the division of all of this land. And I'm telling you all that to get you from where we were with Moses, Joshua, and how we get to Deborah and the book of Judges. In, in Judges chapter in Judges chapter two, after they divided the land up to the twelve tribes, in, we get to the book of Judges, Judges chapter two, and I want to read. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to. I'm sorry, Joshua, Joshua chapter twenty one. Let me start there. Sorry, Joshua chapter twenty one. They had divided the land up, and then in Joshua chapter twenty one, this is what it says in verse forty three. 
It says, so the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to their forefathers. Now let me pause there. Forefathers, meaning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember the story when Pastor Eugene talked about when the covenant that God made between Abraham and said his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky or as many as the sand on the seashore. You remember that? That was the covenant that God made between him and Abraham for his descendants. This is, this is, this is who the forefathers are when, the, when it says the Lord gave Israel all the land that he had promised the forefathers, which meaning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they took possession of it and they settled there. So the land of Canaan, the the promised land has been defeated. The promise has been fulfilled. They've taken possession of it and they've settled that. Verse 44, the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he has sworn to their forefathers. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed over all of their enemies to them. And then in, in verse 45, not one of all of the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. I want you to, if you have a a, a literal Bible, and many of you don't carry one anymore, but if you have a Bible, I want you to take your pen and I want you to circle those words, not one. Not one of all the Lord's promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Every promise God had given Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Every promise he had given to the children of Israel. The Bible says not one of the promises failed. Every single one of them was fulfilled. And we sang the song in worship today and RJ led us, God do it again, the the, the goodness and the faithfulness of who you are, the promises of God, you're a good and a faithful God. Not one of the promises that God's given you or your family is going to fail. Not one. He's not, he's not going to fill nine of them and leave the 10th one unfulfilled. He's not going to give you five promises and, and, and fulfill four of them and leave one unfulfilled. Not one. Whatever God has spoken to you, whatever he has promised you, whatever he said he was going to do, not one is going to fail. Every single one is going to be fulfilled. That's the God that we serve. We serve a faithful God who's true to his promises. And we see this in scripture to the children of Israel, not one of them failed. Now I want you to remember that. Remember that. Then we go over to Judges chapter two. And in Judges chapter two, it, the, 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 the word of God tells us that, it, that Joshua came to a point, he grew old and then Joshua died. In Judges chapter 2, I want you to go down to verse 10. Verse 6 is where it talks about Joshua dying. Verse 10 says this. After that, after Joshua dying, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Meaning not only did Joshua die, but the generation that he represented died. After the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, meaning false gods. 
for they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. Now remember just a few chapters before, not one of the promises had not been fulfilled. A generation had seen the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Moses died, Joshua was raised up, he led them in, 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 in the fear and the admonition of God. And then in verse 10, we just read, after that generation was gathered, after Joshua died and his generation, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord or what he had done for Israel. We're not talking about 20 generations later. Do you see how quickly it happened? It wasn't 20 generations later. It was one generation later that grew up behind Joshua and his generation that did it. It wasn't like they were halfway serving God. It wasn't like they had their foot in one place and out the other place. It wasn't like they were just testing the waters. It said, God's word said, it, they did not know God and did not know what God had done for Israel in one generation. One generation. That didn't happen by accident. Something happened, and we don't have all the details, but something happened with Joshua and his generation. Whether they were so busy defeating the enemy, whether they were so busy working hard at taking land, something happened with Joshua and his generation that they didn't turn around to the generation behind them and teach them of the goodness and the faithfulness of a promise-keeping God. They didn't pass down the truths of God's word. They didn't pass down who God was and the faithfulness of him fulfilling all of his promises. Something happened in those generations and now we find a generation who doesn't even know God and does not even know the story of how God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. They don't even know the story. I look at our generation today This is not just one generation later, and I'm not harping on this young generation because we're part, we're part of the problem. We're part of the problem because somewhere along the way, we did not pass down what was passed down to us. Somewhere along the way, the generation before us didn't pass down to us what was passed down to them. Somewhere along the way with generations, it began to break down and now we have a generation that has totally lost their way, that has totally doesn't know the word of God, doesn't know God, doesn't know the precepts of God, doesn't know the stories of God, doesn't know the faithfulness of God and we're gonna take responsibility for it. We have to take responsibility for it. And it's not, it's not just the spiritual aspect. There's a generation that has no moral compass anymore. That doesn't have any ethical compass anymore. That it doesn't matter that, it's, that there is no right and wrong. It's whatever you want it to be is right or wrong. There, there's, there's no moral compass or ethical compass anymore. Because somewhere along the way, a generation didn't turn around and teach what God's word said and the goodness of a great God. When, when, we, when we were raising our kids, 
Eugene would always say this, and I know he said it in a funny way, kind of, but he kind of meant it, you know, because Eugene can do that, you know, make it funny, but like, no, I'm not really being funny, I'm really being serious. And so when we were raising our kids, Eugene would always say this, and I never took it wrong, it was fine, because it was true. He said, Heidi, you're the Old Testament and I'm the New Testament. (laughs) You're law and I'm grace, which was true, because I, I ran a tight ship, and with our kids... And Eugene was a disciplinarian as well. But I, but I, I did run a, a tight ship. And to go, I, I want to raise our kids that, that not only love and know and understand God, but I want us to raise our kids that have good, uh, uh, good manners, that respect their elders, that have integrity, that respect authority, that respect one another just as human beings, regardless of the color of your skin. We want to raise with a good work ethic that's not afraid to work. We're going to raise up some kids. So I, 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 I was, I was a, t- I ran a tight ship in that way. Eugene did as well, but he was the grace because sometimes I would forget about grace. Sometimes I would forget that there had to be grace and go, this is the way we're going to do it and y'all are going to walk this tight line. And because I was determined that we had a responsibility to raise our children in a way that wasn't going to forget the goodness and the faithfulness of a God. I had a friend who was raising, I still laugh when I think about this because it's so absurd. I had a friend who, we were friends and and, and their kids were about the same age as our kids when everybody was young. And so, I, again, I was strict. I was very strict. And my friend, she said, oh, Heidi, I'm not going to teach my kids to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. That is so old-fashioned. Okay, that was one of those moments. Hold my purse, please, and let me go strangle your neck. Are you kidding me? No, it's just oh so old fashioned. No, it's not old. It's not old fashioned. It's called respect and it's called honor. And that when you don't pass that down to a generation, then we have a generation that cannot respect their elders. They don't understand authority. They don't respect leadership. And if they can't respect the human beings that they see face to face, they're certainly not going to have an on respect for God Almighty. In one generation, they lost it. In one generation. We have a generation. It's not just been one generation. It's been many. One after another after another. And you say, how can it get so bad so quick? How can this culture and this generation go so bad so quick? Because the generation before them didn't take the responsibility. And the generation before them didn't take the responsibility. And the generation before them. Now we can stand and we can identify that and we can complain and gripe about it all day long and that's going to change nothing. But what we can do as a church family is take ownership of what we're guilty of and repent to God because we haven't passed it down to a generation like we need to. And we can rise up as a church family and begin to raise a generation in the admonition and the fear of God, to begin to raise them in the truth of God's word. And it's never too late to start implanting truth back into your kids, back into your grandkids, back into this generation. They desperately need it. That's what they're longing for and they don't even know how to ask for it. May a generation not pass through these doors and walk out of here and not know the goodness 
and the faithfulness and the promise-keeping God that we serve. May a generation never walk out of here and not see the hand of God in their life. May a generation never walk out of here and not hear the stories of how we got to where we got and the faithfulness of God bringing us to a place of great promise and great peace. May a generation never pass through these doors and not know those stories. So that's the climate of where we're at in the book of Judges. It says later on, and I'm just going to paraphrase those verses following in Judges chapter 2. It says, then the Lord raised up judges who saved the people out of the hands of the enemy. But they wouldn't listen to the judges and evil happened. Then they would get desperate. They'd cry out to God and he would raise up another judge. And then they would turn their hearts back to evil and do evil things and get so desperate again and cry. This is vicious cycle over and over and over. And it's, it's amazing how it sounds so much like today. It's amazing how thousands of years later it sounds like today because people will be so desperate and so heartbroken and they cry out to God. And then when God moves and he shows up and he fixes and he heals and he blesses and we forget God and we go back to the old ways of doing things and then we hit bottom again and then we cry out to him again and then we hit bottom again and it's the same vicious cycle. The Ecclesiastes says this, there really is nothing new under the sun. It's the same vicious cycle. And so this is where we find Deborah, the judge. The whole book of Judges that we're going to read out of this morning is a book talking about the judges that God raised up. And there were several of them. And so in Judges chapter 4, Deborah is being one of them. And Eugene said, Deborah has been my hero for all the years. And I'll share some of, a little bit more of my story as we go. But Judges chapter 4, I'm going to read in verse 1. Remember the culture and the climate of what I just discussed. And then Deborah comes on the scene. Judges chapter 4, verse 1. After Ahud died, who was the judge before her, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin a king of Canaan who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sesera, verse 3, because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. So here's an evil king that had been raised up, 900 iron chariots. It's equivalent to the, they were like tanks of the ancient world. This was no, this was no uh, easy game. This was serious business. Some translations will say not cruelly, but ruthlessly. Oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. We're not talking about a bad day or a bad season that we've all had. For two decades, the Israelites were cruelly and ruthlessly oppressed, abused, misused for 20 years by an evil king. They finally got to the point of desperation. As the word tells us, they cried to the Lord for help. Verse four, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. 
She sent for Barak and said to him, the Lord God of Israel commands you, go and take with you 10,000 men and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sesra, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops and, and God will give him into your hands. <clears throat> Verse eight, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go, I'm not gonna go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went, the new King James version said she arose with Barak where he summoned these men that I can't pronounce. 10,000 men followed him and Deborah also went with him. Verse 12, when Sisera told Barak, when, Sisera, when they told Sisera that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him. Deborah said to Barak, go, for this is the day the Lord will give Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots in the army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot, fled on foot. Barak, uh, Barak pursued the chariots and the army. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword and not a man was left. Then I want you to verse, so anyway, Deborah gets word from the Lord. She gives the word to Barak. Barak is the commander of the army. They take charge and do as Deborah via God's word, uh, word to her had said. They go and they have great victory over this evil king. Verse, I want you to flip over to uh, chapter five. And this is a song that Deborah and Barak had written, wrote and sung out of this great battle and great victory they just won. And go down to verse seven and this is Deborah speaking and she says this. She said, village life in Israel ceased, ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. Village life in Israel had ceased, meaning that life as they knew it, everyday life had come to a stop. For 20 years, they couldn't do business as usual. For 20 years, they couldn't do market as usual, in and out, interaction with other people. For 20 years, everyday life had ceased and had stopped because of this evil king, Jabin. And Deborah herself said, village life in Israel had ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. Let me give you a definition of arise, which is very simple, and we're gonna, you would already know this. But arise simply means to rise. It means to stand up or to wake up. It means to rise up, to stand up, or to wake up. That Deborah came to the point of after 20 years being oppressed by this evil king, she came to the point to where she woke up to the fact that somebody had to do something. Somebody had to stand up and do something. If not, the children of Israel were going to continue their oppression generation after generation, decade after decade. She had to stand up and do something about it. In the world that we live in, we cannot be lulled to sleep with the happenings of what's happening in our world and our culture. We cannot, we cannot turn the TV on and y'all know this. After one week you go, okay, things can't get any crazier. And then you may miss seeing the news or reading your phone for a week and you come back and you look at it again and something crazier has even happened. Then you go, you know what? It can't get any crazier than this. And the next week, guess what? Something crazier has happened. 
And it keeps happening and it keeps happening. And if we're not careful, the craziness of the world, the bad news of the world, the darkness and despair of this world will lull us to sleep and will come with a mindset of this is just the way it's going to be. This is just the way it's supposed to be. This is just the way it's going to be. The world's gotten so bad and it can lull us to sleep to where we become, we become uh, 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 emotionless based on what's happening outside of here. Something has got to rise up within us. Everyday life in Israel had ceased until I, Deborah, arose. We could say the same thing. Everything, village life, community life, city life in Opelousa ceased until I, Miss Heidi, Pastor Eugene, Dwayne, Susan, put your name in the thing. Until we arose, mamas and daddies in this community saying enough is enough. We're not going to count down to the ways of the enemy. We're not going to become, we're not going to become calloused to we just have all these shootings and Opelousas and that's just the way it's going to be. We're not going to become calloused to the violence that happens every single day and go, that's just the world that we live in. Until somebody sees it for what it is as a ploy of the enemy to destroy a community and a generation. Until we recognize it for what it is and say until we rise up, until we wake up, until we recognize what's going on, it's going to continue the same until men and women of God decide to rise up. We're not going to be lulled to sleep. Just because it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. This was the exact climate that Deborah found herself in. Our circumstances and even Deborah's circumstances could have either defined her. And if, if she had, then she would have remained in those circumstances. Village life in Israel ceased. That's just the way it's going to be. That's the circumstances that's where it is. I have no say so about it. And that, that's the way it's going to be for always. We can allow our circumstances to define us. Or our circumstances can give us the opportunity to rise up and allow God to work through us to see the change that we desperately need in our nation and in our community. And I refuse to allow what's happening out there to define me and to keep me in a place and to keep us in a place to where we're paralyzed under it and we don't rise up and we stop doing anything about it. I made a choice a long time ago that I was going to rise above my circumstances. If you were here a few weeks ago, I talked to you about the life of, uh, of Rahab and about rewriting a story. And I shared with you about some of my upbringing and some of my, my, my struggles with extended family and some of the brokenness and the hurts and the wounds that had happened over all the years. And I came to a point where I could have let that define me and go, that's just the way it is. That's just the way my family is. This is just my lot in life and this is the way it's always going to be. But that was more than 30 years ago as a young adult. I started coming to the realization that God's word has something to say about it. And that, that's when I went to Deborah and I began to learn and read and study her life and story for more than 30 years and go, you know what? My circumstances don't have to define me. 
I don't have to stay stuck in my circumstances. There is a spirit of God, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me and that I can make a decision to let the spirit of God rise up within me and I can rise above my circumstances and not let my circumstances name me and define me, but I can let the God, my heavenly father, the maker of heaven and earth define and name me and fulfill the purposes for which he's called me to do. I made a decision. I'm not going to let that happen. Every single one of us in this room have got to make the same decision. And many of you have. But I want to encourage you today, our work's not done. Our work is not done until we see the change. Have we seen some changes in Opelousa? Sure we have. But there's a long way to go. I don't want you to grow weary. I don't want you to grow discouraged. I don't want you to grow uh, uh, disappointed in what you see outside these doors. God is at work and he is on the move and he is using every single one of us in this room to do it and many other churches in this area to do it as well. We've got to rise up. Deborah's a great example of a woman who made some serious choices to rise up in the face of adversity and some very difficult circumstances. So I'm gonna give you today quickly, I'm gonna give you three choices that Deborah made to rise up. Miss Heidi, what do I do? Okay, I see it. How, how can we rise to the occasion? I'm going sh- to share that with you from Deborah's life today. Number one is this. She embraced her calling. Deborah embraced her calling. In Judges chapter four, what I just read just a few moments ago, that the Israelites were, were, were cruelly oppressed. And then it says, Deborah, a prophetess, a judge in Israel. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Deborah's life. All that we know is that she was a judge that God had appointed over the the nation of Israel. It says that she was a wife of Lapidoth, which meaning obviously she was married. The Bible doesn't tell us whether she had children or not. We don't know anything else about it. We don't know anything else about her. But it's safe to say, and it's safe to assume, that at some point, God came to her and spoke to her and asked her, to be judge over Israel. God appointed her as, to, as that. So there was a, somewhere, and there's, there's a stories, and only in heaven will we know the rest of the story, but somewhere in her story, there was an encounter between her and God, God asking her to be judge over Israel. Now what you must understand is that no woman has ever been appointed judge over Israel at that time or since then. This was historical. And if you remember from when I talked to you about Rahab a few weeks ago, if you remember the status of women in the Bible. Back then, women weren't allowed to be educated. They weren't allowed to to carry on business. Women's sole purpose was to marry and to have children to carry on generations. Women's status, status uh, 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 level was at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. So for God to even come, do you see what God's doing with culture? Do you see the culture is saying women can't have any of these rights. They can do nothing. They can only have children and marry. And God's going, oh, no, they can't. There's a woman named Deborah that I'm going to put not, not just in some leadership. I'm going to put her as the leader of this nation. It has never been done before and has never been done since. God coming against culture all throughout the Bible. Then we get to the New Testament and the women's status was still the same. 
And we get to the New Testament and we see Jesus busting it wide open. Because if the 12 disciples and the disciples that were closely connected to Jesus, there was always women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary, the, the, the women that, that Jesus held close in his circle with his disciples, when they should have been shunned and not even had the right to be near him, he gave them the opportunity to walk and be taught by him. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Whatever culture said, they blew it. Jesus, uh, God blew it wide open. And then Jesus created a new culture and said, this is the new culture that we're going to abide by. But at whatever point that conversation or that request came from God, Deborah's answer had to be yes to it. Deborah couldn't have said, but God, it's never happened before. But God, it's never happened before. Just because it's never happened before doesn't mean it's not God. It just means it's never happened before. There's going to be a first time for everything. Just because it hasn't happened before doesn't mean that it's not God. You've heard this story that Eugene's told in the past, over the past 12 and a half years of Opelousa's campus being started. Do you know how many times people told us what y'all are wanting to do has never happened before? It's never happened before. We've even, we even had people tell us, Opelousas is a place where new churches go to die. Meaning so many new churches had tried to start and they never could get going. And because of the racial division, they ended up just dying. And there's some great churches in our community, but that was some of the counsel we got basically saying, this has never been done before, so don't waste your time. When we were, we were in Lafayette at the time when we started Opelousas campus and we bought a house in Opelousas and I came to the post office to put in a change of address. Now I don't judge me and go, Miss Heidi, do you know you can do that online? I don't care. Computers blow up, they don't work right, I'm old school and I don't do all that. So I go in person to the post office and fill out a change of address form and I slide it across the desk and give to the lady. I didn't know her, she didn't know me. And she looks at where I lived in Lafayette and she looks at the new address in Opelousas and she looks at me, this is absolutely the truth before the living God, this is the truth. She looks at me and she said, why would you ever want to move to Opelousas? And I'm thinking, well, we ought not put you on the welcome committee if you ever come to our church. You probably ought not be a greeter at our Savior's church. And I said, excuse me? She goes, why in the world would you ever leave Lafayette and move to Opelousas? Who ever moves to Opelousas anymore? And I said, ma'am, and she was an older lady, and I'm sure... She had the stories to back it up. And I looked across that, that glass at her and I said, ma'am, we're moving to Opelousas. We're moving our family to Opelousas. My husband and I are pastors and God's asked us to start a church and he's asked us to start a church that's not for blacks and not for whites and not for rich and not for poor and not for Baptists and not for Catholics and not for spirit filled. But he asked us to start a church that's for everybody. And he's asked us to do it and we're gonna come and do it. And she said, that's never, ever, ever happened here before. And I said, that's okay. God's asked us to do it and we're gonna be obedient and we're gonna trust that he's gonna fulfill the promise that he's given us. And she just kept trying almost to dissuade me and I just went, okay, ma'am, ma'am, just process 
process my change of address. We've been through too much. I'm not letting the post office lady talk me out of this. And I give all honor to post office ladies. We've been through too many things. No, no. Process my change of address and let's get the show on the road. But it's never been done before. Deborah had to answer yes. You've heard Eugene and I say this also so many times. God never gives us all the details of what he's asking for us. All he simply wants to do is yes, will we obey him or not? And oftentimes as Christians and as believers, we wait and we go, God, I'm going to hold on to that yes, because I want to know every detail of how this is going to work out. And I want to see the end of it and see whether it's worth me stepping out in faith or not. That's not the way God works. It's never been the way he works. He's never worked for that, us that way in all these years. He will never, ever work that way. Because if he worked that way, we wouldn't need faith. Faith is stepping out when you don't know if you're going to make it or not. Faith is stepping out when you don't know if people are going to come through the church doors or not. Faith is stepping out when you don't. It's never, ever, ever been done before. But God, you said for us to do it. And so we're going to say yes, and we're going to step out. Is your heart saying yes to God before he even asks something of you? Give me the men and women whose hearts are surrendered to him in such a way that you can say, God, whatever you ask of me, my answer is yes. You give me men and women with that heart, that'll be a group of men and women that God will use from now to the end of eternity for his goodness and for his glory. To use us, will your answer be yes? She embraced her calling. Number two is this. Deborah embraced her God-given relationships. There were some God-given relationships in Deborah's life that she embraced. Verse six says this. God had, had, had given her the strategy for how to overtake King Jabin. He had given her the, 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 the direction for how they were going to win this battle. And then in verse six, it says this, she sent for Barak. Now, Deborah, again, I didn't know Deborah personally. I, I cannot wait. Do y'all realize the, these are not fairy tales that we're teaching y'all? Do y'all realize that? This, this is not Mother Goose stories that we're teaching. This is the living, breathing, holy inspired word of God. And every, I'm going to get so emotional. Every single person that we've taught y'all about and that you read about, that one day when we get to heaven, that we will meet them face to face. Now, obviously our greatest encounter is going to be meeting Jesus face to face. But second underneath that, but we're going to see Deborah face to face and go, girlfriend, can we sit and have a little visit? Because I have got some questions. <laughs> but Deborah, you knew Deborah was a strong girl. God wouldn't have asked her to lead a nation if she didn't have a backbone. She had to have some strength and some fortitude. She had to have some faith and some courage. She could have gotten that direction from God and said, hold my purse, get out the way. I'm taking the army and we are going to go take care of King Jabin. But she didn't do that. The Bible clearly says in verse six, she sent for Barak. Barak was the, the leader of the Israelite army. She could have overstepped him and went ahead and led and, and had great victory. But she sent for Barak. 
because Barak was a God-given relationship. Deborah knew that two really was better than one as the book of Ecclesiastes say. And that she wasn't gonna win this battle and she couldn't fulfill God's purpose without Barak there with her. And then Barak goes on to say too, that's fine, Deborah. Great. Awesome. We're going to go. I'm going to go, but if I'm not, I'm not going to go if you don't go. He was recognizing the relationship as well. God's going to put other people in your life that's going to help you fulfill your purpose and destiny. In fact, it is impossible for you to fulfill everything God's called and asked of you. The purpose and destiny of your life, it is impossible for you to fulfill it alone because God never made us to walk alone. And I've had conversations with people over the years, over and over and over and over again, looking for these divine God-given relationships like they're out there in the stratosphere somewhere that God's just holding them back like a carrot on a string and not wanting to send them to them. And every single conversation that I have with them, I say this, open your eyes up and look in a circle around the very people that are already in your life and there in that group of people you will find some of them not all but some of them are already the divine relationships and gifts that God wants to put in your life you just haven't recognized them as such yet God's already given them to you There's divine God-given relationships that we've got to connect arms with and walk alongside or we're never going to see God's purpose in our life. Obviously, Eugene's one of those relationships to me. I could never have done what I've done and fulfilled what I fulfilled thus far without Eugene being the greatest cheerleader and encourager of my entire life. And I'm I'm not just saying that to be nice to him. Because I could tell you all the other things and I'm not going to, I'm I'm kidding. Do do y'all always, do do y'all pick up when I say I'm not exaggerating? Do you you pick that up? Because I'm wanting you to know I'm not exaggerating. Unlike other people that may stay on the stage and may exaggerate a bit, I'm letting you know that I'm not doing that. And it's not Pastor Myron. I'll let you guess who that might be. Pastor Jacob and Michelle, another one of those relationships. Pastor Courtney, uh, Pastor Myron and Courtney, another one of those relationships going, we can't fulfill God's purpose for us without y'all. And they can't without us. And many of you in this room, y'all have walked beside us and stood beside us. We couldn't have gotten where we've gotten and accomplished what God's done without everyone coming together arm in arm. I've had people say this to me and a lady said this to me just a few weeks ago, but Miss Heidi, you don't understand. I don't trust people. I don't trust people people. And there was good reasons why she felt that way. And many of you in this room have said the same thing, whether it's been outwardly or whether it's been in your heart. And you can probably say that for very good reason, because you have some legitimate reasons why people have let you down and failed you. But just because some people have hurt you doesn't mean that all people will that we have got to embrace the God-given relationships that he's put in our life. And when we keep people at arm's length, we keep some of the very people that God's brought into our life to help make our life fuller and richer and accomplishing more than we would ever accomplished on our own. There's God-given relationships and even Deborah, the judge of Israel, knew how important relationships were. And finally, number three is this. Deborah embraced the opportunity. She embraced an opportunity in verse nine, and I just referenced it, verse eight and nine. 
Deborah gives Barak the direction. Barak says, I'll, I will go, I will, uh, Barak says, I'll go if you'll go, Deborah. But if you don't go, I'm not going. And then Deborah answers him very well that I'm going to go with you. God spoke clear direction to Deborah to give Barak as a leader of the army direction to, to, to get great victory over this enemy. Not only did he give her the words to speak to Barak, then he gave her the opportunity to see those words put into action. Deborah could have said, no, I'm not going. And then Barak would have said, I'm not going. They could have sat there and had a little cat fight about it. And then they'd have still been in cruelty and oppression. But Deborah saw an opportunity to go, you know what? I will go with you, Barak. And she was able to see with her own eyes the handiwork of God defeating an evil, evil army. She embraced the opportunity. Opportunities are going to come for every one of us in this room. The question is, what are we going to do with those opportunities? It's God's responsibility to open doors of opportunity. It's our responsibility on whether we will embrace them or not. As you look back over your life, we can all see opportunities that we took that paid off that led to the next open door, that led to the next open door, that led to the next open door. Then we can all also look back on opportunities and go, you know what? That was an opportunity and I missed it. That was an opportunity that I missed because I was fearful or I was worried or I was afraid or I didn't have confidence in myself. That was an opportunity that I missed. Every single one of us can say that. Some opportunities will be God-ordained. Other opportunities may not be God, but we won't know what is God ordained or not unless we take the opportunity. That we don't know if it's God until we get into it. And even if it's not God, if our hearts are open to him, he will still use that opportunity that may not have been him. And he will use it to teach us wisdom and insight and give us counsel. And we will learn from that experience so we are better equipped to handle the next opportunity. As long as our hearts are open to receive that. I've had some incredible opportunities in my life. I've seen places I never would have thought in a million years I would ever have seen. I've stood on stages and spoke to people that in a million years I would never have thought I would have the opportunity The things that I've been able to do thus far, the places I've been able to see, the time that I've spent with great men and women of God, that if you'd have told me as a 15-year-old girl, I would have never believed you in a million years. Some awesome, awesome God opportunities. But I've also had opportunities that weren't God. But he's used it to teach me. One example is when I was a young, young, very young woman. I was a teenager, in fact decades ago and I grew up in a little little tiny town in West Texas in a tiny tiny little church and I loved my church and I loved my pastors and my pastors were like a second family to me my pastors saw in me what I could never see in myself And I attribute to them, to this day, I still see them periodically. And every time I see them, I thank them and I honor them and go, I would not be where I'm at today if you had not taken the interest in my life all those 50 years ago, 45 years ago. 
So this was, I was a teenager and these pastors that I just spoke of, they gave me an opportunity. I don't know if you remember, and this is so old school and only those who are 50 and over will remember this. But remember the day, or did you grow up in a church in the day where there were special songs sung? Like specials. And though it, was, it wasn't praise and worship, because we didn't call it them that back then. Or you would, you would sing out of your hymnal, verses one, two, and four. That third verse never got sung. Did y'all remember? It's like, we never hit the third. It was first, one, two, and four. And so we'd sing out of our hymnals. And then when it was offering time, they had a, a somebody come and sing the special. Okay, do y'all know what I'm talking about? This only happened in West Texas. Okay, good, good, good. So there's this special. And they would sing this beautiful song. And everybody would just clap. And it was just marvelous. And then they'd go on to the message. Well, the pastor's daughter, who I was very good friends with, she always sang the special. The pastor had three children, a son, older son, a daughter, and then a younger son. So the two oldest, either the son or the daughter, would sing the special. And they always did a great job. Well, they were leaving to go to Bible college. And so brother and sister Owens is how we refer to them. And so sister Owens, who who was just a hero of mine, said, Heidi, we want to teach you how to sing the special so when Gwen and Gail, their son, when they go to college, then you'll be ready to sing the special. Awesome. Perfect. Because my answer was yes to anything. Anything they asked me to do, yes, I'm going to do it. Absolutely, yes. Now, so they called me in on a Sunday afternoon. This was, we were going to practice. Okay, thank God we had this practice session first. So we, they're going to practice. So everybody was there and, and, and their son Gail was on the piano who played like nobody you've ever heard before. And I'm not, I'm not, totally not exaggerating. Their younger son Steve was on the drums. Sister Owens was on the organ. And she was a kind of organ player, and this is old school, that couldn't play the organ and still have her shoes on because she's playing the organ and then her feet are playing on those pedals and going to town like nobody's business. I mean, it was mesmerizing to watch. She was all over that organ and her feet were doing her thing and it was stinking awesome. So she was on the organ and Gail, their son, was on the piano and Steve was on the, on the, on the uh, drums and then my friend Gwen, who was leaving for college, she was there to kind of coach me. And so they were giving me the same song that she had sung all the time. So I kind of knew how it went. Okay. So here we go. So they started, okay, how do you go? And so again, I'm not going to, I don't know if y'all know this by now or not. I'm not going to do anything halfway. If I'm going to do it, I'm going all in. So I wasn't shy about it. I wasn't like, ooh, let me just tip. I mean, I was full on head on. And I belted out the first words of these songs and, and I am just, my whole heart, I'm singing to God, oh, I am praying, I am blowing this special song up. It's going to be, I'm going to be a superstar in Graham, Texas, superstar. And as I am just doing my thing, I notice that Sister Owens is looking at Gail. And Gail's looking back at Steve on the drums. And Steve, they're all looking at Gwen, who's trying to coach me. And it wasn't a look like, ooh, we have found a superstar. It was a look like, dear God, what have we just done? And me being, bless 
my sweet, pitiful heart, I'm not even catching on to it. I'm thinking, oh, they think I'm doing great. And I just kept ripping and rolling. And finally, they don't even tell me. They don't even say, Heidi, stop. Just the music ended. And it, the song wasn't over. I hadn't even gotten to verse four yet. I was just like still on verse one. The song hadn't even ended and they just all stopped. And I had a microphone and everything. Like I was official. And so I just go, uh, I just don't say anything. And Gail, the one on the piano, he just takes the lid of the piano and just closes it and goes, Heidi, we are going to find something else for you to do. And I go, okay. Again, I'm so naive. I'm going, okay. Okay, what else y'all want me to do? I didn't leave offended. I didn't leave with, I, I should have crawled out of there so embarrassed and never to walk foot back in the church again. And I didn't. I look back and just go, bless my heart. I didn't. I just went, okay. Well, what else y'all want me to do? Well, we're going to find something for you to do. But until then, we're just not going to do any special songs. Okay. An opportunity that I took wasn't God. I have enough sense to learn from that opportunity. So I'm not calling Victor, going, Victor, hey, bro, sign me up for the tryouts for worship. Okay, not going to do that. But because that opportunity wasn't God and I handled it the right way, it just turned me in the direction of going, okay, that's not what I'm supposed to do, but there is something else that I am supposed to do. So God, what is it? If this is a no, then you must have a yes somewhere for me. The opportunity, you never know until you take it. The opportunities you've blown up on. The opportunities you've embarrassed yourself on. The opportunities we've broken, cried and ran out the door so embarrassed. Don't beat yourself up. Don't belittle yourself. You had the strength and the courage to take an opportunity. And just because it wasn't God then doesn't mean the next opportunity won't be God. Because what happens is when people fail in an opportunity, then they stop taking every open door that happens. And you're going to stay stuck exactly where you are unless you go, you know what? Just because that door closed means there's another one that's going to open. I'm going to close with this. Judges chapter, Judges chapter 4. Israelites had been cruelly oppressed. I read that earlier for 20 years. And they cried to God for help. The next word, Deborah, a judge in Israel. For 20 years, a nation had been abused, had been oppressed. They got to the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the pit. And they began to cry out to a God that they didn't even know about. Begging him for an answer. Deborah was the answer to their prayer. Deborah was a prayer, the answer to the Israelites' prayer for 20 years when they cried out to God. There's a world of hurting people that you're going to face as soon as you walk out this door. Hurting people that are far from God, they still talk to God and they cry out to God when it gets bad enough. And my question to us today is this. Instead of having all of our requests that we bring to God in prayer, and we should, and the Bible tells us to, how many times have we walked out of here going, God, don't 
don't meet my prayer request that I've brought to you. But God, could I be the answer to the prayers of the people that are waiting for me outside of these doors? God, could you make me, could I be the answer to the prayer that my neighbor is praying? God, could I be the answer to the prayer that my family members are praying? God, could I be the answer to the prayers that my coworkers are praying in desperation, seeking, crying, asking you for help? God, could I be that answer? Deborah was the answer to a nation's cry. You and I can be the answer to a community and a parish's cry for help. We have to start recognizing we are the answer. We have what they need. We're not perfect. We don't have it all together, but we still have the God that the same God that brought healing to our hearts can bring healing to their hearts. The same God that can make something beautiful out of a broken mess can be the same God who makes something beautiful out of their broken mess. We are the answer. We're the answer. And then finally in Judges chapter five, the very, very last verse, the very last sentence of the last verse, After the song of Deborah was completed, it said, then the land had peace for 40 years. How long had the Israelites been cruelly oppressed? 20 years. How long did God give peace to the nation of Israel? 40 years. Because there was a judge, a woman named Deborah who rose up to allow God to use her in a time that it had never been done before. That she, he used her to restore what the enemy had stolen for 20 years. God repaid it back to them in 40 years. He doubled the amount of time that the enemy had taken from them. That's always the way God works. So church family, I'm going to pray for you today. You are the answer to the prayers of the people that you're going to encounter today. And whatever the enemy has stolen, whatever years have been wasted, God is perfectly capable and able and willing to give those years back to you, double, triple, tenfold over, if we will rise up and answer yes to him. Let me pray for you, church. Father, I thank you for your presence this morning. God, I thank you for the power of your word. Jesus, I pray for your people. I pray, God, that as we walk out of here today, that, Father, we would walk out recognizing and understanding that we are the answer to this world's cry for help. The community that we live in, the nation that we live in, every single day behind closed doors, people that are so lost and so far from you are crying out to you, God, to help them. Father, may we see ourselves as the answer to who you're sending to these broken people. Father, I pray an anointing over your people today. Anoint us for such a time as this, Father. Anoint us, God, for this moment in history, for this moment in time that people's hearts are more open now than ever before. God, anoint your people to be the answers to the cries of the people that are lost and broken. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, would y'all show Heidi a little bit of love? Thank you, Heidi.
just give me two minutes. Every head bowed, every eye closed in the place. I just, I don't want to leave here today without just giving you the opportunity. Did you hear that? The opportunity. You might be in this room today and you're far from God and you know it. You don't have to leave here far from God. He loves you. He's not mad at you. The scripture's clear that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we've missed the mark. I've missed the mark. You've missed the mark. Jesus came because he came to die for our sins, to pay the price, the penalty payer for your sins and my sins. My sin will send me straight to hell. In fact, without Jesus, this is as close to heaven as I'll ever get is on this earth. This is it. This is as close to heaven as I'll ever get. But because I've surrendered my life to Jesus, this is as close to hell as I'll ever get. I can't wait to meet Deborah one day. Today, you could reserve your spot in heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. That's not through our Savior's church or any other church. That's through a person, a relationship with Jesus. He came to pay for our sin, and you can have a relationship with him, with him, the Son of God. Jesus. So with every head bowed, you go, how do I do it? Jesus said, you can't enter the kingdom or see the kingdom until you've been born again. You can't even see it. You can't enter it. How do you do it? It's easy as ABC, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ came to pay for your sin. And C, confess him as Lord. It means make him the boss. You get off the throne of your own life. But if we were all honest with ourselves, that was our, always our biggest problem. We were our own king instead of submitting to a king and living and doing it his way. And he's here today. He'll forgive you of everything you've ever done. In fact, the Bible says he'll throw it into the sea of forgetfulness and remember it no more. He will not use your past against you. God, what do I do? I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This prayer won't save you. It's not magic. But if it's a heart cry... Remember, the Israelites are crying out for help. Help God. He'll answer that cry and he'll save you. If you're here today and you're ready to be born again, to give, surrender your life to Jesus, to surrender to him and to live his way, I want to give you that opportunity today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we just hold your hand up high and say, Pastor, remember me in this prayer today. If you're ready to be born again, hold it up high right now. Hold it up. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Hold it up. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Anybody else? I'll give you one more minute. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Congregation, can we add our voice to theirs? We say, dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I confess I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. Thank Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. So I wouldn't have to go to hell and I wouldn't have to pay the penalty. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. I surrender to you today and I make you my Lord, my boss, my king. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we give God praise for that?